0: Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems around the world adopt technology, with me, Tiyasha Zaitz. In the previous episode, you had a chance to listen to Dr. Phil Cochin, GP in Northeast London and the Chief Clinical Safety Officer for London, and Dr. Catherine Buxton, Consultant in Palliative Care Medicine for Imperial College Healthcare NHS Trust and the Clinical Director for Palliative and End of Life Care Strategic Clinical Network for London. Phil and Catherine talked about the recently introduced digitized urgent care planning across London. In today's episode, we're moving from that single use case to a broader picture of what it means to build a shared record system for the patients so their medical information flows more easily among clinicians that treat them. You will hear from Gary McAllister, Chief Technology Officer of One London. One London is a project that supports a vision of joined up health and care. It's a pan-London collaboration between leaders from five integrated care systems in the capital. That means that the whole project covers a population of 10 million people, is connecting 35 NHS trusts and 1,385 GP practices. London is one of the five single care records projects in the UK. The so-called local healthcare records exemplars projects were started by the NHS England in 2018, and other exemplar cities include Manchester, Yorkshire and Humber, Wessex, and Thames Valley and Surrey. In this discussion, Gary explains how is London approaching the digital transformation of healthcare in the capital. How complex is the IT infrastructure at the moment, and how the core team of One London works with IT vendors to try to connect different systems as efficiently as possible? Enjoy the show, and if you haven't yet, subscribe to the podcast to be notified about new episodes automatically. Additionally, do check out our newsletter as well. It's only published once a month and it summarizes what's been covered in the show in the last few episodes. So find the link for that in the show notes and see what was published last. Now let's go to the discussion with Gary. Gary thank you for joining this discussion about one london and sharing the experiences with large scale interoperability and connectivity projects i want to start this discussion with your background a little bit so you were the chief platform architect and then a cto for guys and st thomas's nhs foundation trust before becoming the cto for one london in 2020. We know how complex it is to implement anything in the hospital. Implementations of software systems can take months or even years to implement. So I really wanted to ask you, how do you see the complexity of implementing an IT system in a hospital setting and how that experience then helped you a few levels higher with trying to implement something on a regional level?
1: Yeah, so that, I think that's a good question. So just, I suppose, stepping back and going f- through the background. So m- my career started at Mayday Hospital in Croydon or Croydon Hospital as it is now. And I've c- gone through the uh, the ranks, so to speak, of working as an engineer and then right the way up now to senior management but through that process you get you earn your stripes of understanding how IT systems work and the impact that they have on clinical and operational processes. The evolution of healthcare IT has been very slow I would say. The systems today that we use in hospitals from a usability and a capability point of view haven't actually changed that much since when I started my career in 98, 99. And I think that's a big problem. But the complexity really comes from integration of systems. And we still haven't cracked the interoperability problem very well in healthcare. Although there are open standards such as FHIR and OpenEHR and these other standards-based uh, standards-based publications, the implementation of them is very patchy at best. And the ability to get information across systems seamlessly between platforms is probably the biggest challenge that we still face. We have acute IT systems, primary care IT systems, social care, community, mental health. And bringing those together in London has been a a huge challenge, really, because we're having to take what we can and the best we can to bring it together into our shared care record system in London, which is where a lot of my work is focused now from the systems that just don't play very well together and don't present information using the appropriate standards to then present it and make it useful to clinicians and operational team so there's a lot to unpick there probably. Yeah
0: I guess Uh, the next question would be what was the thinking when the project was designed so the initial idea is to create a single care record for every patient in London 10 million people a a lot of institutions that need to be connected knowing uh, all the interoperability challenges how was the strategy designed what was the thinking like how can this actually happen?
1: We were quite fortunate in London, there was pockets of shared care records already taking place. So, so that really started the ball rolling. And then there was national traction around that. And then the, in 2018, there was a programme called the the LICA programme, the Local Health and Care uh, Record Programme. That enabled us really then to scale up what we were doing at a regional level. So taking the principles that already exist in the the patient record platform in northeast london and the local care record in southeast london as, as well as the connect care system that was live in in southeast london and there was other shared care record programs already that existed in southwest london they'd done a reasonable job of sharing in pockets as well and then we really leveled that up created the london care record which is now used a million times a month by members of the healthcare industry in London to treat and manage and care for patients. We now have a reasonable level of interoperability across London. The funding that was provided through the Shared Care Record Programme nationally in England really took it from, as I say, pockets of connectivity to London-wide
0: if we just try to clarify a little bit further what's already been done and what's about to be done, there are nine demonstrator projects happening under the One London umbrella. So urgent and end-of-life care, diagnostics, radiology, pathology, stroke prevention. So obviously, I imagine that with such large-scale programs, you go in stages with different things at different times. So what's connected already and what still needs to be done to get to that final wanted result?
1: Yeah so the structure of the program was designed by my my boss who's a chap called Luke Redman and it's always been based around these three levels so it's level one which is about sharing records and that's done in, in the best way we can so we take what we can and we present it through the Cerner Healthy Intent platform to the point of care and so far we've managed to get pretty much 100% coverage of primary care, so that's all the GPs, and secondary care, which is all the acute organisations presented. And then when you go beyond that, we've got fairly well-established mechanisms to connect in social care, community, and mental health as well, although that is man- like predominantly managed in summary form, not, not so discreet. But then moving beyond that, our program of work at this point in time is stretching into more semantic interoperability. So working on proper pathway orientated improvement through information sharing. So we've got a transfer of care project, which will see patients who are picked up in an ambulance directly registered and admitted into hospitals across London when they are picked up with clear admission based conditions such as stroke and cardiac disease, heart failure, that kind of thing. So those individuals, trauma patients, will automatically then flow from the paramedic point of care right into the acute without having to then transpose information and have detailed handover, complex handover processes manually managed. And then beyond that, we're looking at diagnostics at the moment. We are tra- creating a regional registry of all of the images in London. And through that program, we, our diagnostics program, we're looking to create Pervasive access to imaging for all modalities across London, starting with radiology, which will then enable clinicians in their PACs to query and retrieve images from any other PAC system in London through a natural process. And then that enables us to do things like load balancing and workforce improvements and having reporting taking place from any organisation in London, although there's a bigger challenge there and that will take a longer time. And then moving on from that, we've got another program work which is very data orientated. That's our level two. We call it level two, which is really about getting structured data together for population health and planning purposes and research. So we are well linked in with the national data program at the moment, the, the secure data environment program which will help us to conduct more academic research and improvement programs across London for translational benefit for new treatments and procedures and prevention and all that sort of thing. And then level three is giving patients access to their information. So um, that's shared care records for patients. So enabling them to have access to their appointments and their letters and their diagno- diagnostics and diagnosis and remote monitoring, that kind of thing. So that's the three levels and we're making fair progress on all of them. As I said earlier, there's a bit of work to do, to be done. Uh, but you've already raised the portfolio is very broad and the region is very complex. So we've got clinical networks and there's many of those related to specific pathways and diseases that we work alongside as well to improve and transform through digitalization. But I'll stop there because you've probably got more questions for me.
0: Oh, Yeah. Tons. But for now, what was the most challenging thing so far? And I don't know if there's anything that you expect that's going to be a hard nut to crack in the near future.
1: I think the biggest nut to crack probably sits more at an ICS level. So the nationally, we've, we've progressed towards these integrated care systems, which currently are still really forming. So they only came into formally into part of the constitution on the 1st of July this year, uh, 2022. So we're still working out at a regional level and a local level what an ICS is and how, from a digital perspective, ICSs function. I mean, there's obvious benefits to having economy of scale, which ICSs should begin to conform with. But there, there are collaboration challenges there. I think So I think most people who have worked in technology for some time come to the realisation that the real challenge in a lot of this stuff is people. It's getting people to do the right thing, collaborate in the right way, understand the benefits and the justification for doing things is predominantly around improving patient care um, and improving workforce efficiency and experience. And on that basis, if we work to those principles of doing the right thing for the patient all the time and ensuring the clinician has the easiest experience of doing the right thing for the patient then I suppose the questions should become easier and the answers become easier but the people element and sometimes the political element overtakes the conversation and then the ch- that's where the challenges come we're still learning to collaborate in some cases. But that levelling up, I mean, they say it's a levelling up agenda, but there's also a consolidation agenda um, that's been pushed mm-hmm. nationally that we support, which is to try and get consistent application of IT systems across ICSs. So I think over time that would and probably should mean single instance EPRs and single platform platform provision in primary care, community, mental health, and social care so that the integration challenge becomes easier, you're not dealing with so many suppliers and so many different technical standards or implementations of standards across a larger geography so but that's really where the challenges are. I think a regional level we there's a new operating framework that's been released yesterday so it's the 14th of day of October, but the 13th of October there's a new operating framework that starts to answer some of the questions about how regionally we work with the ICSs but the regional approach in London is about collaboration it's about support and we like to work in that way to help the ICSs achieve their goals and their objectives and culture on that basis here.
0: Perhaps as a quick additional clarification for the audience, the UK has more than 200 NHS trusts and up until recently, the way services were bought and chosen was through 211 clinical commission groups. And now that's been changed and consolidated to 42 integrated care systems. And even when we're talking about the One London project, it's actually one of quite a few local healthcare record exemplars. And there's other cities that are doing similar things. Manchester, Yorkshire and Humber, Wessex, uh, Thames Valley and Surrey. So when talking about collaboration, I really wonder, do you guys talk to each other and share experiences how each of these huge projects uh, covering millions of patients is progressing? What are the similarities, differences, where you could potentially help each other
1: yeah, we do talk actually. When the Leica program was established, there was a wonderful couple of leaders really established it at the start. So Indy Singh and John Farnham, and they all always brought us together to make sure that we were sharing. And within that community, we've all tried to baseline on the IHE standards predominantly. So as a technical person, we like to make sure that they talk. And we have managed through one London to connect beyond London. So with interim connections into Milton Keynes to enable the flow of patients north of London. We speak regularly to the east of England. So when they're ready, we'll be able to support the connectivity of patient records out of London to the east of England as well. So we do talk and in the technical community, which is predominantly where I operate, there's a lot of collaboration and a lot of support for each other to to help us join the records up because I think nationally we've been in a bit of a transition period for quite some time following the national program for IT and almost feels like there's a slight reluctance to define a national architecture at times just because of the potential political like ramifications that might come from that but I think we do need my my personal view and this is a personal view like we we do need to start rethinking what national architectures look like in England because there's some significant gaps and some quite some quite difficult levels of complexity to overcome when you try and do everything locally. So I think there's a good balance to be to be found when it comes to the implementation of these kind of systems. And when I say system in that context, I mean health system, not IT.
0: Earlier you mentioned the complexity of achieving interoperability when you've got hospitals that already use several systems that are not necessarily integrated and then you have to do some sort of a wide-scale integration on a regional level. And I guess anytime time any of these large-scale projects start, A similar story could be the European health data space. You, as the initiator of these ideas, you have to stop a little bit and think, based on all the problems that we know about data standards and interoperability, how can we go forward in a different way, in a better way? So can you maybe talk a little bit more about the thinking behind the technical architecture and infrastructure for one London?
1: I'd love to say there was like huge amounts of thinking that went into the platform itself. But London's architecture is based on is based on the Cerner platform predominantly because 80% of London is Cerner based when it comes to the acute organisations. We've got a bit of a mesh architecture now. So we've got a hub health information exchange that sits in the middle. And then around that, we've got five integrated care systems spokes, if you like, that then connect in and allow sharing across each of the others. And then the hub is really what we then use to stretch out beyond London into Milton Keynes and the east of England, as I described a moment ago. That The Health Information Exchange provides us with standards-based interoperability when it comes to consuming and publishing information and is available at the point of care through a portal, effectively. So in your clinical system, you click a button. We have the NHS number in England, which is an amazing invention, which means every individual is identifiable by the same unique identifier, which helps us massively when it comes to contextualizing the record in existing systems. And that then through that contextualization allows us to launch a portal and then pull the information using the NHS number from every other connected information exchange that are within the network and then present that to the clinician at the point of care. And then moving beyond that in the last year, we've, because CERNA has some limitations, um, we've had to purchase a care planning or a, a record. If you like, it's a form building and workflow system by a company called Better Health, which they have overlaid on top of the London care records, which again is just the portal. But that then gives us the ability to capture information such as care plans. So we're using it for end of life care planning at the moment. But that will then go beyond that. So we hope to use it for mental health. So for paediatric intensive care management and some other end of life type hospice referral pathways. So it's quite complex in the sense that there's a lot of data going in from primary care, secondary care. We've got a lot of APIs that we call from third party systems to bring the data into the portal. But it's really seamless to the consumer. They just click a button. We look at their role based on who they are. We give them the right level of privilege and access. And then they see the information at the point of care.
0: So basically, they have the experience that they would expect to have if they knew nothing about IT.
1: Yeah, we try and make it as easy as possible. I'd still say that there's something just to be completely transparent. but There's areas that we can improve. The user experience it just comes back to what I was saying earlier about we've well, not really evolved since when I started, when it comes to user experience, I think there's some good examples of good user experience starting to come into the healthcare industry. But the systems that we're using, they don't come from and haven't been designed from a user experience-based design, user-centered design background. So they feel built by developers for clinicians with a developer's understanding of user experience and user-centered design. So they're very information-rich, which makes them, very difficult to use at times. So one of the things we've got to do with the London care record is try and improve that over the next 12 to 18 months as well, Make work with CERNA to improve the UI and make it more consumable to the user groups that we're providing information to. We've described, haven't we, the complexity of London. You've got 33 acute trusts, 10 mental health trusts, roughly 10 community organisations as well, social care across a lot of many boroughs, and then you can get a bit of information overload, which we need to try and avoid, I think, moving forwards.
0: Since you've started talking about some numbers, do you perhaps know how many vendors had to collaborate in order to bring all this together? Because integrations are yeah a lot of simple things it's like when somebody says you just need to integrate that yeah we've got apis it's a little bit funny because we know that different companies have different priorities and that can impact timelines of when integrations actually go in practice
1: so off the top of my head i'll probably name a dozen of them but there's at least a dozen in there so you've got the likes of epic cerner Server was server that can like, rename now. I think to change healthcare or something, and then you've got EMIS TPP. The list goes on. Cleric for the ambulance service, and then there's little point of like uh, you've got the old isoft stuff, the XC now, which exists as well in the architecture. Advanced health for mental health and other some other uses as well. So yeah, it's a big complex mesh of connectivity which brings it all together. I'm not sure I got to a dozen there, but there are many more, I promise.
0: I was expecting a a much higher number. How much do you have to lead these discussions to try to encourage people to talk to each other and create solutions so the systems that they created will talk to each other?
1: Yeah, we do... We part of the role is making sure the standards are right. We've a bit of a common theme now through this conversation is the application of standards. I think we're about people, haven't we, a bit as well through this. And the thing about relationships is I found as long as you're polite and as nice as you can be to people in the industry, you can get what you need and the best out of everyone and the best out of the supply chain. So one of the things that we try and do in the one london team is build good relationships with suppliers and and colleagues in the industry in the nhs to support that collaboration and engagement so the one london team our program directors are a wonderful lady called Joss Palmer and we've got a very good good chief architect fernando and rob ballantines in the team and they're very collaborative individuals very knowledgeable as well and they help the progression of the one london program because of how we behave and how we lead as individuals we're not we're here to support and collaborate and we bring that collaboration together and people together and to help achieve the outcome and everyone's bought into it anyway so it really is just about prioritization support engagement and at times buying a few beers
0: Yeah, yeah. All all that uh, uh, helps for sure. I did also want to ask you about your reflection on how you see the One London or other projects like this that are trying to enable patients at the end of the day to go to different providers and not repeat themselves when talking about their health challenges speaking globally there's many initiatives that have tried to do that the my health record in australia there's countries in europe that have national backbones and spines that try to somehow connect the data we are now talking a lot about the approaching european health data space now the uk is not a part of eu anymore but I am wondering, how do you see the European health data space in the light of what you do? Because when it comes to the European health data space, I guess the problems with standards are similar. But there's an additional level of complexity with languages, with different cultures that need to just collaborate together in order to enable this big idea of, about a European patient going on a vacation in a completely different country and being able to yeah. go to the pharmacy to pick up their medications because they forgot them at home or visit a doctor who is going to magically see the patient's medical record or at least a summary of the information.
1: Yeah, that would be fantastic, wouldn't it? So the which <laughs> I've been talking to the national team recently and there's a chap called Lee Rickles in the in York Yorkshire and Humber, who's done a lot of work on how we would tie into the European health passport, if you like, the European health summary. And I think one of the things, is, again, I can't, can't attest enough the importance of standards. In order for us to do that reliably and accurately and have transition of records from people's wallets, if you like, into you know a health system, be it an IT system or into a, an operational system, work, workflow, you need to be able to translate the record, don't you? And in order to do that, you need to have structure and a standard that everyone can adhere to. I mean, it's interesting you say that because I was having a an online conversation about this the other day, about why when we've managed through COVID to create COVID passports that work across Europe, can we not, and globally, can we not use the infrastructure that we've got in the NHS to aggregate records uh, in a structured form, even if it's just from primary care, in the same way so that you can then have a barcode that sits on your phone that's like your health wallet your health passport which then you can just use when you're abroad if you have any health issues you need a repeat prescription all that sort of thing that goes on where people go away and they as i say they forget their medication like having a health passport would be amazing you just walk into a pharmacy show your health passport explain that you've forgotten your medication and you would probably get a, 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 like a, an authorised script through some form of workflow, which would be amazing. And I don't know why we, we probably do need to think more like that. And I think that is the future generally is to move to that kind of model. And we talked about patient-held records for quite some time in the health service. And I think this is the first step towards that, the European record summary, which would, which, as I say, the possibilities are endless once the record sits with the person, aren't they?
0: Speaking of the future and how healthcare is changing and how we're trying to gather and consolidate data, an important part of that is also social care and how can we connect health data with social care data. On June 29th this year, the NHS England published a new plan for digitalization which includes uh, also the updates for the funding priorities for the social care. And the plan is to have 80% of social services digital by 2024. I took this paragraph from the book that you recently wrote, you know, about this, oh, yeah. the digital structure in the NHS. And what I thought was really interesting in this paragraph was that you mentioned that the focus is on modernization rather than innovation of digital services so you can talk a little bit more about that because we want to innovate we, there's no shortage of ideas about what we want the patient experience or the user experience or the clinician experience or the social care worker experience be like in in healthcare but how to get to that is something completely different and when you say modernization instead of innovation that almost sounds to me that Things are planned to change very slowly.
1: Yeah, and I think, I think that's fair. The there are parts of England that still work predominantly on paper. So social care is one of those areas where there are it's incredibly patchy, and the adoption. We talked about the NHS number earlier. I mean, I was fortunate enough in my role in Southeast London to work with a wonderful team: Angela Poland and Jack Barker, Stephen East, and a few of the others where we managed to digitalise social care, but it took us 12 months to get the NHS number adherence in social care in place in order to connect them to the shared care record. So we do need to do these things with the infrastructure in this country. The use of paper is unsafe, and it's inappropriate, and it leads to duplication and inefficiencies that shouldn't really exist in the 21st century. So it's fair but the balance has to be struck doesn't it between modernization and innovation and it's it's what is innovation would be the question because innovation to one organization is moving from paper to digital whereas innovation to some of the organizations in London is really progressive it's getting machines diagnosing patients based on image-based AI deep learning machine learning algorithms it's trying to automate the pathway so that you've got these what I call care traffic control systems where you've got patients monitoring themselves at home and there's command centers on that basis that then will call patients into the service when they're deteriorating or there's a deterioration. There's the the kind of waiting agenda as well where patients are expected to wait well. And if they start deteriorating, they get brought into the service. There, There are some fundamental shifts that need to happen but they're only possible because, I believe, because of digitalization. So I think it would be nice if the money was there to support both. But equally, there there's an understanding that you can't innovate on top of quicksand. And if you try and innovate in some areas of England, but on the basis of the infrastructure that exists, it would probably be more dangerous than putting the foundations in place in the first place. So that would be a view on it. But it's fine balance for me, but I think the money, so the organisations that have accelerated and got to an innovative position are the ones that generally have the money to continue to innovate. So they can fund it themselves, but the national funding rightly needs to go on getting the basics right for everyone.
0: To which extent do you think there's a danger that different parts of the UK would develop with a different speed because there's 42 ICSs, 42 different leadership teams and approaches to just digitize and modernize.
1: Yeah, I think that also reflects the differing maturity level. We are quite fortunate now in the NHS that it is integral to the national strategy, digitalization, and that will therefore mean that each ICS, and it does therefore mean each ICS has to have a digital plan And on that basis, they need to find the budget to digitalise to baseline acceptable levels. So the good work that was done on the what good looks like framework really does set the bar for these 42 ICSs as to where they need to get to. There's been some challenge to the what good looks like framework in the sense of, in some cases, it needs to be what great looks like. Like it's how do we move beyond good for the progressive ICSs in the progressive parts of the country? But I think if we've got everyone to where what good looks like, which is an NHS almost measurement framework, it's a principle, principles-based framework more than anything, which sets out what the principles are for each ICS. I think we'd have done a great job. Uh, you have to start from somewhere, don't you? But the structure, coming back to your point around governance, prioritisation of England when it comes to uh, digitalisation of the NHS, prioritisation is really hard, especially in the current economic climate. And there will always be winners, winners and losers due to the national fund, like funding position. These leaders that are way above where I am in the in the industry will have to lobby hard on behalf of their ICSs to make sure that they get what they need to deliver the transformation, to make their ICSs and their places and neighborhoods sustainable.
0: And I was hoping you you could give us a recipe of what anyone that's trying to implement a regional interoperability project for healthcare can do, like from one to five, first do this, then do that.
1: Yeah. So I'd say first, like one to five off the top of my head, the first thing would be build a great coalition of people that believe in the goal and the objective of your program bring them together and get shared goals and objectives. That would be my first thing that I would do, which isn't very technology or IT related. Secondly, I would make sure that you get the governance in place for your information governance, your patient engagement and understanding the legalities of what you're trying to achieve and ensuring that you're on a good, fair, legal footing for your program. So As I say, that includes information governance, GDPR, that kind of thing, as well as patient opt-out and patient choice and preferences. That's really important. The third thing I would say is make sure that your procurement is sound and your requirements are really well documented and articulated. Ensure that you've got a vision for your architecture that meets the needs of your community and your stakeholder groups. And make sure that architecture and the requirements are holding whoever you choose to implement the solution for you to account and that then leads on to the fourth the fourth fourth thing I would say is that then on that basis make sure that the requirements reflect the standards that you're going to implement and then be very rigorous about the application of those standards throughout the journey of your program ensure that that, that you've got and to have tested through the procurement process the right level of standards adoption and implementation. And then number five is make sure that what you deliver is fantastic and, te- and works well technically and people enjoy using it. And there's good use cases and case studies for benefit and outcome that have fundamentally transformed the health system. And I think that needs to start right from my recommendation one, really. Always make sure that you're focused on the right thing to do and the outcome for the patient and the workforce. And then that filters all the way down the stack one to five as to how you build a a successful program.
0: Oh, that's such a wonderful final thought that I think we can just conclude the discussion because I know we we also just have two more minutes. But maybe just one quick question. Uh, You mentioned earlier that you're trying to encourage IT providers to enable a better user experience. To which extent can you impact that?
1: So, it has to happen at the design phase, really. And you can, even the systems that are slightly older, if you've got a group of clinicians together or patients together, whoever's using the system and designed it with them integral to the process with good expertise around user centered design, then it does make it a, a lot better. And the process of transformation is a lot more seamless. We're still on the journey with user centered. Again, there's a balance between too much user centered complexity versus getting the jobs done and you can often get tied up in knots in user-centered design and end up focusing on it a little bit too much so i think it it comes back to the people element and making sure the right people and with the right skills and are involved in whatever you're trying to achieve
0: you've been listening to faces of digital health the topic of today's episode is supported by better Better is a provider of an open data digital health platform, electronic prescribing and medication administration solution, and local tools that help you rapidly build applications that suit your needs. If you enjoyed the show, do leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast. And as mentioned, subscribe to our newsletter, which summarizes what has been presented on the show on a monthly basis. Stay tuned!